Finally, if we are to win the battle that is now going on around the world between freedom and tyranny. It's May 25th, 1961. President John F. Kennedy addresses a joint sitting of U.S. Congress. The topic, space exploration. And more specifically, this. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Okay, so John F. Kennedy's moon program, clearly an audacious goal for any country to achieve. Even now, more than half a century later. But let's not forget, this was 1961. A time of no mobile phones, no PCs, no internet, none of it. There wasn't even any useful computer code. At least not the sort that could control a moon landing. Nobody had invented it. There was no clear way of making this work. JFK didn't even have a plan of how to land a man on the lunar surface. And by all accounts, NASA the very government department tasked with this momentous project, even they weren't certain. They needed more funding to work out how it could be done. That was the very reason John F. Kennedy was at Congress, to ask for more money. If we are to go only halfway or reduce our sights in the face of difficulty, in my judgment, it would be better not to go at all. The Apollo program was the very definition of a moonshot, a goal which seemed more than just a little bit crazy, but in less than a decade had changed the world. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. And this is Moonshot, a podcast where we unearth the seemingly impossible ideas. And the crazy ones that believe they have the plan. From curing the incurable to disrupting our daily lives and sketching and re-sketching our futures. Now, the moon mission sparked a huge rush of interest in space. It was a symbol of hope and possibility. Children across the globe grew up hoping that they would one day be living or perhaps working in space. It redefined what people thought was possible. And while unfortunately we're not yet at full Jetsons level, if you've been paying close attention to the news recently, there's a whole new space race happening, and it's largely being driven by one man. I think, I think as, we, as we show that this is possible, that this dream is real, um, not just a dream, it can, it can still something that can be made real, um, I think the support will snowball over time. That man there is Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, the company not only reinventing how we drive on the roads and how we harness the sun's energy on a massive distributed scale. No, there's more. He is also the founder and CEO of SpaceX, the company that has quickly become the driving force behind a new space race, the race to Mars.
Well, I, th I think the first journeys to Mars are going to be really very dangerous. Um, uh, the risk of fatality will be high. Um, there's just no way around it. Uh, so I would not suggest having sending children. Or um, it would be basically, are you prepared to die? Then if that's okay. Then then you know you're a candidate for going. While the moon slips into the shadows, Mars is the new frontier. You really want to create the, the dream of Mars in people's minds and have it be like, you know, it's the new frontier. Um, and, it's, and make it as exciting and fun and desirable as possible. Um, so I think this is, where, um, this is where the entertainment industry can play a huge role in just, um, in just, in just imagine, you know, putting, putting that dream in people's heads, showing them what it can be like. Musk wants to someday have a self-sustaining population on the red planet, which he says will require around one million people to relocate from Earth. But considering no human has ever stepped foot on Mars, there's an awful lot to do to make that vision a reality. I think, you know, they want to start putting into place the things that are needed, because one of the things you have to do when you get to Mars is you have to build a city you live in. Um, and bring the things there that you need. You can't make them there. Eventually, that's the goal, is to make things on Mars and use the, the planet's resources. But you have to sort of bring everything and set it up. You know, the problem with going to Mars is humans, it's humans. Humans can't sustain uh, life there at very long. So if you follow Silicon Valley and any of the tech happenings there, you may recognize that voice. That's Kara Swisher. She's the executive editor of Recode Media and along with Walt Mossberg from The Verge, interviewed Elon Musk last year about his plans to go to Mars. So, so when will people like yourself get there? And I assume you'll be first in line for that. So I think what really matters is being able to transport uh, large numbers of people and um, ultimately millions of tons of cargo to Mars. Um, and, it, and that's what's necessary in order to create a self-sustaining, uh, and, 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 and a, a, not really self-sustaining, but a, gro a growing uh, city on Mars. The, the basic game plan is like, we're, we're going to uh, send um, a mission to Mars with every Mars opportunity from 2018 onwards. So, and they occur approximately every 26 months. Hold on, go back a bit there. The basic game plan is like, we're going to send a mission to Mars with every Mars opportunity from 2018 onwards. So does that mean people will be heading to Mars in 2018, next year? Well, no. Unfortunately, if you want to head to the red planet, according to Musk, you'll have to wait until around 2024. The mission in 2018 is more of a scientific one, just to make sure that everything's working properly. But when you think about it, 2024 is just around the corner. We will be sending people to Mars on a regular basis in just seven years. Maybe, if nothing goes wrong before then. So obviously in the meantime, they're spending a lot of time triple checking everything. But did you know there are already people experiencing what life on Mars could be like for those first adventurers right here on Earth. Our days are very busy. Uh, my day generally starts at around about 6.30. I get up and quickly check my email for personal messages and urgent messages from mission management. After seven, I have a wash and a cup of tea or two. We breakfast at about eight, cereal, homemade bread or porridge, even pancakes on special days. Uh, then we have our morning crew briefing and commence our daily tasks. 
This is Dr. Jonathan Clark. He's the crew geologist for the Mars 160 mission. Which means that I look after the uh, geological research on the mission and give geological advice to other people uh, in their own projects. Uh, the goal of the uh, Mars 160 mission is to study and compare exploration operations at the two different stations run by the Society, one in the hot desert of Utah, the other in the cold desert of Arctic Canada. Dr. Clark is part of an experiment run by the Mars Society, one that's pushing the boundaries to see what life within the red planet's extremes could really be like. Essentially, eight people lock themselves up inside of this Mars simulation and they sort of see what happens. The mission lasts for 160 days, 80 days in the desert and 80 days in the cold Arctic. If I have to listen to any more god-awful disco music... My God, Commander Lewis, couldn't you have packed anything from this century? And all of this research is something that Dr. Clark has wanted to be involved with since his childhood. I was drawing and making models of Mars spaceships, writing stories and constructing little Mars environmental chambers in my early teens. I wanted to re- do research projects on Mars when a university I was told there was no role for Australian students in Mars research. And in 2001, I came across an advertisement by Mars Society Australia who were looking for someone to lead an expedition to Central Australia. I applied and I've been active in Mars Society Australia ever since. Dr. Clark is now president of the Mars Society in Australia, and this wasn't his first time in such a simulation. Yeah, they take this stuff pretty seriously. They eat what astronauts eat, they do spacewalks in space suits, and they run lots of experiments. We're incredibly busy. We're working 10 to 14 hours, six days a week. Uh, Any entertainment is squeezed in at the sides or at the end. But we do have about one day off a week when we sleep in uh, and only do the essential work and relax. The crew is halfway through their mission right now. They completed the desert phase in December and they're due to start the Arctic mission in June 2017. There's also a bunch of rules for how the missions work to try and simulate life on Mars as accurately as possible. So even though they were in Utah when we interviewed Jonathan, I had to send our questions through via email and wait for him to send an audio response. Because if they really were on Mars, we couldn't just pick up the phone. If we did, there would have been a 20 minute phone delay. Okay, so we get the basics of life will be different. Food, leisure time, all that. But the real question, not how we'll change to fit the conditions in the short term, how will Mars change us, the human race, in the long term. Uh, So no doubt that people cope on Mars expeditions or on Mars stations. People are tough and adaptable uh, when they're properly uh, chosen and these characteristics uh, are selected for and done so already for uh, real space missions, uh, existing space missions to the space station and of course to polar stations, submariners and so on. Mars settlements where people will live under such conditions for their entire lives might be different. Not only will they be living under such conditions, but raising children in them. New balances between community protection and freedoms will need to be found. We'll be moving to new social territory in this regard. But to some extent, billions of people already live in artificial, highly urbanised environments, completely dependent on external supplies of food, water, power, waste disposal. So the difference really is one of degree rather than one one of kind, I think. 
There are a whole host of other researchers and companies looking into what life on Mars will truly be like. There's people designing new rockets, spacesuits, food supplies, even ways to extract water from the ice on the surface. There's many different people working together to make this mission possible. But unlike NASA's original moon mission, the race to Mars and even space travel in general is being driven by billionaires. Sure, NASA has been doing a lot of research on Mars, but it's been the private companies that have really been driving public interest in Mars space travel. Former US President Barack Obama wrote a great opinion piece for CNN just a month before the 2016 election, stating a very clear goal of wanting to send people to Mars and have them return to Earth by around 2030. And now, the new president, Donald Trump, has just signed into law the NASA Transition Authorization Act, which lays out the goal of having a manned mission to Mars by 2033. And he made the announcement with a distinctly Trump flavor. Almost half a century ago, our brave astronauts first planted the American flag on the moon. That was a big moment in our history. Now, this nation is ready to be the first in space once again. It's amazing what's going on. So many people and so many companies are so into exactly what NASA stands for. So. The commercial and the private sector will get to use these facilities, and I hope they're going to be paying us a lot of money. The new act provides NASA with a clear focus going forward, one centred on both the exploration of deep space and also enabling the commercialisation of space, giving an increased incentive for other companies to follow in the footsteps of Elon Musk, and providing ways for those companies to take on the large-scale projects, like sending people to Mars or building new space stations. And those companies will continue to help NASA in delivering goods and people to the International Space Station. And now that NASA has this clear direction, they actually have to go away and create a human exploration roadmap. How they plan to make humans on Mars a reality. But given the commercial focus of President Trump's act, there's no doubt companies like SpaceX, Mars One or Blue Origin, run by Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, will be very happy indeed. But whoever ends up making commercial space travel a reality, you can be sure of one thing, it won't come cheap. And if we get a co the cost of moving to Mars to be roughly equivalent to a median house price um, in, in the US, uh, which is around $200,000, then I think the probability of establishing a self-sustaining civilization is very high. I think it, I think it would almost certainly occur. Not, not everyone would want to go. In fact, I think a relatively small number of people from Earth would want to go, uh, but enough would want to go and who could afford the trip that it would happen. But if you're someone that has that cash to make the first trip to Mars, Dr. Clark does have a bit of advice for you and the rest of those first Mars explorers. Be prepared for paperwork. It will follow you to Mars. Cherish your crewmates. Your life, health and sanity depend on them and theirs on you. Remember that the world is watching and always work for the best. So there you have it, paperwork. It doesn't matter where you go in the solar system, you'll be stuck filling out a form. Wazowski, you didn't file your paperwork last night. 
If you're ready to board a Mars-bound rocket, feel free to tell us about it on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. And let us know what you would pack in your backpack for that very first adventure. You can also visit our website at moonshot.audio where you'll find a transcript of the show. Make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes. And if you love the first episode, please do leave us a review. We're also on Pocket Casts and Stitcher. Our cover artwork is by the very talented Andrew Millist. And our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And also thanks to the Walkley Foundation who have supported us in this podcast journey. That's all we have for today. We'll be back with you next time on Moonshot.